Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special Throwback Thursday edition of our show. We have with us Chris Johnson, lead singer, rhythm guitarist, and songwriter for the band Autopilot Off. I remember their music quite fondly as a teenager growing up. It was always high octane and would get me ready to go. You can check out their music on Spotify by looking up Autopilot Off. Most of their libraries up there, I think all of it actually. As for us, we have uh, the blog www.probablywrong.ca, which reminds me I should probably write a new article for that so it gives people a reason to check it out. Um, if you like this podcast, be sure to share it and send it to your friends and your family. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. You're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, we have with us uh, Chris Johnson, lead singer and rhythm guitarist of the band Autopilot Off. Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome, awesome. I'm, I am loving the shades now that, now that I see you. I'm like, all right, this guy knows what's up. Complete oh. accident. <laughs> my glasses weren't in my car, which is getting new tires. I would have my regular glasses on, but... <laughs> they're in my car getting new tires so all i have is the sunglasses <laughs> that's all right well we're, we're here in vancouver so right now mm -hmm. did you guys ever tour in vancouver we did come to vancouver a couple times it was awesome beautiful city yeah i love the northwest in general whether it's the pacific northwest of the united states and then bleeding over the border up to vancouver and uh, it's just a beautiful area the whole you know uh america and the end of canada so it's wet it's though. Great area. Yeah, it is. It is. They but. they call it the wet coast. So it's raining yeah. right now. That's why I'm dressed up like this. But you're uh, you're yeah. in New York, right? I am. Yep. We're yep. we're about just outside of about, Yeah, about an hour uh north northwest of New York City. Nice. So no. okay. now autopilot off I uh Growing up as a kid, and before before we met today, I was like, man, I got to listen to some of the tracks again. <laughs> and I think it was What I Want, the song What I yeah. Want. I was like, dude, this is taking me right back to grade eight. <laughs> you know, I was just a study nose kid. And I, I don't know about you, but like I hear music nowadays, and there's just there's so much of it. Mm -hmm. And it's like – I. I don't know what has staying power, whereas the music when I was growing up, and this is me sounding like an old man here, but sure. looking back, it's like a lot of those tracks were timeless, right? And I think about music in the 70s and the 80s. Oh, yeah. How, to me, that was like the golden age of like rock and roll, right? Sure. So, you know, when, when, when people listen to songs from when they were growing up, what must that be like? But then I think about today, like, what, what are your thoughts on music today? It is strange because um, it's it's definitely very different in the way that it's access now, you know, and it's availability and, and the way it's fans kind of interact with it or consume music is different now. Like, I remember, um, you know, one of the things that made like punk rock and like the surrounding genre so cool when I was growing up is that it was something you had to work for to kind of find, 
It wasn't anything that was like very, um, you know, with the exception of a few few bands that kind of had broken through and like crossed over, right? Like, you know, Green Day was huge and, you know, Blink-182 right after them, you know, became huge. But in and around that time, like in the, in the mid-90s, it was tough. You had to kind of like look and make an effort to find it. And I guess that still could be somewhat of the case today, only, um, you know, I'm not as a, as I guess skilled at knowing like all the different digital channels that you can go through to find and discover like what's new and you know who's coming up um so I think for me it's, it's hard to make a comparison but I just remember being a kid that was one of the things that made punk so cool was that you had to work to find it and it was almost like you know you you kind of learn like the secret passage code into the you know the club and then there was this whole new world of new artists and stuff to discover new styles of music and i guess it's kind of the same but like you're saying with the the volume of stuff it's hard mm -hmm. to know what to pick through and you know you could go on spotify and hear a million different artists every day that you've never heard before um so it can be a little overwhelming and tough to kind of you know find your way i guess unless you know how to navigate that new kind of digital world of, of all those offerings you know yeah i mean because for example, the album Make a Sound came yeah. out in 2004. I was, you know, yeah. not, not to date anybody here, but I was 14. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I remember years later, I mean, I don't know, 2009, I was like, damn, I really, I was, I was collecting CDs. Sure, I like, sure. I got to find Make a Sound. Like, that, that was such a hard album to find. I had to, like, order it from. Really? Yeah, well, just because. Uh, like you, I, I'd go to the CD store or whatever, but like, Hey, do you guys sure, have sure. this? They're like, no. So I yeah. had to order it through eBay or whatever, but I got it. But cool. who buys CDs anymore? I guess is my point. Right. Like, yeah, that's true. I guess unless, unless someone that collects, you know, yeah. or that's looking for like that, um, you know, tangible, you know, piece of, of media, you know, it is interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, it's probably a limited market, I guess, you know, for people <laughs> buying CDs. Well, well, vinyl's yeah. making a comeback. That it is. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. I just saw a thing about vinyl. There's some vinyl pressing plant, like, in Eastern Europe, and the guy had just kind of kept it rolling, like, through, like, economic depression and all this stuff, like, in the beginning of, like, the 2000s or whatever. And then vinyl made this resurgence because he kept it going. It was an old uh, press that used to print for, you know, records and media for like the communist party because he kept it going. Now it's like the only record press place in Europe and they're pressing vinyl for everybody. It's like a huge thing now. And wow. so, yeah, he went from like the brink of like closing this place down to like he prints everything that's, that's done in Europe. It's interesting. It was an interesting uh, thing. It's now like the mecca of vinyl records. It's, yeah, that's it. It's the only place you can go to get it done. Yeah. Well, um, so you guys started in, in, is it 1996? Is that when you guys? Yeah, right, roundabouts, maybe, yeah, 95, 96. We were in high school, so right about that. So how, how hard, I mean, you talk about the punk scene and how it's this, uh, the punk rock scene, and how it's yeah. almost like this outlier in the music industry. How did you mm -hmm. guys kind of, pierce that veil how did you guys get through there into that market i guess i don't know i guess it was kind of we were we were lucky i think um and i've been thinking about you know i think about this like every once in a while you know but um 
I think we were pretty lucky in that locally there were a lot of kids and a lot of people that were into like that kind of music. There were a lot of bands that um, were playing like punk rock or hardcore or similar kinds of music um, that just happened to be like in our local area, you know, within like our town, the next town, two towns away, like within like basically our county, there was a, a ton of, uh, of bands and a ton of opportunity to kind of go play, which was really cool. Um, so that made it easier for us to kind of find shows to play and then find out, you know, more information about like, oh, did you hear, have you heard this or have you checked out this band, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Had we grown up somewhere else, you know, I don't know. I don't know how our, that would have changed our approach or like our kind of like the difficulty level of like piercing the veil. Like you say, it might've been a lot more difficult had that kind of seen that kind of existed, I guess a little bit already around us. Not that we were necessarily aware of it when we started playing music, but once we did, we kind of, you know, were exposed to like, Oh wow, there's a whole bunch of other people playing in bands right near us too. You know? So it was, it was through the networking that was available that you guys really kind of got that momentum. Yeah. And then by extension too, I guess kind of being close to like New York city and then, you know, North Jersey and and New Jersey in general is very close to us too. Um, uh, And then also Long Island and stuff is, is a little further from us, but, but still like, you know, pretty readily accessible. And you think about all the, the bands, you know, that came from that area, like New York, New Jersey, Long Island, like Mm. when we were coming up and around that time, I mean, there's, it's, it it was really a special time. And and I think a a fortunate time for us to be where we were and playing music when we were playing it, because there was just so many, you know, amazing bands in the region as well, you know, that, you know, and I'm talking about like huge bands that, you know, like your saves the days and taking back Sundays and, Mm brand news and the movie life and h2o and you know all these bands that were from you know our same geographic area that have just you know and we never obviously ascended to those type of heights but these were you know the kind of bands that were around and and you know instrumental to us kind of uh not only playing music to start but um you know, advancing too. you know, H2O took us on numerous tours and we had crossed paths with, you know, taking back Sunday and saves the day and brand new. And we toured extensively like the movie life and, you know, glass jaws, another one from long Island, uh, the, uh, midtown, all these bands, not to name drop a bunch of bands here, but this were, these were like, you know, our peers like locally with that were so cool, you know, to be, you know, in and, you know, in and around, you know, the same spots as those guys. So, well, I mean, you, you mentioned that you were sort of building uh, your sound, your, your market, whatever you want to call it with these yeah. other bands. The fact is, is that nothing happens in isolation, right? It's true. It's true. I guess. Yeah. You know, like you could be the most talented person in the world, but if you're not going to share it with other people, you're not going to go very far. I don't think. No. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Did you, did you guys ever like, so where I live, like where I live, there's a house right by here. And did you ever hear the band Gob? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the leads, I think it was the lead singer or the the guitarist, their mom lived right beside my friend. So we'd be like skateboarding and scootering. And then we'd see 
the band members of Gob Drive Band. We're like, dude, what? So <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you ever play with those guys? I think we did a couple times up in Canada. We might have been Vancouver once, and then I think another time uh, on the east in the eastern part of Canada, maybe like Toronto or Mississauga, we might have played with them as well. But they were super nice, and uh, <laughs> they're they're legendary to us. I don't know. Did you ever hear that split they did a long time ago with that band Another Joe? No. They had this split with a band Another Joe, and it was called Ass Seen on TV. <laughs> and like whatever this. The split was cool. I think they had given it to us or we had come across it somewhere and uh, we listened to it and the split was cool. And then after the last song, we see like numbers keep going up. And I was like, there's probably like a hidden track on this. So we're in the van. We're like fast forwarding. We were huge into the Jerky Boys on tour. Oh, yes. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Frank phone calls and like it's pretty whatever. But we loved it. At the end of the Gob and other Joe CD, um, this hidden track is like a half an hour of bone pranks that I guess the Bob <laughs> guys had made in and around Vancouver. And it is, it's brilliant. I've gone back on YouTube just to listen to the prank phone calls. What, what is it called again? It's called ass seen on TV. Ass seen on TV instead right. of as seen on TV. Yeah. <laughs> good album artwork too. It's a good lookup for anyone, you know, but uh, we used to listen to that CD and the prank phone calls all the time it's 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 a shame that it's the the, the, the phone calls too aren't more well known I, maybe i'm blowing them up here but it is brilliant it's really funny I, i'll definitely check that out you, yeah. you might also notice that occasionally i'm looking down it's because i'm writing things oh yeah yeah uh, yeah it's, it's so i'm not like because ah! i get i get good ideas and i get excited sure sure but i was thinking about the prank phone calls and the jerky boys and yeah. it's like, man, what they did back then, you could not get away with today. Probably not. No. <laughs> no, no, no. So, like, you guys, when when I listen to Make a Sound and songs like Clockwork uh, or uh-huh. Clockworks, I'm like, man, you guys, you guys dialed into something that I really think has since sort of taken hold the sort of high production values. Mm-hmm. And that is a, I listen to that song to this day, Clockworks. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So what, like, how did you guys find that sound? Because it's, obviously your inspirations were from, you know, the early 90s punk rock uh-huh. bands, but then you were pushing something different. Well, um, you know, I think we all pretty much, we had pretty limited knowledge of like, you know, record production, had a translate what you're playing live to a record and then also add stuff to the record that may not be, you know, part of the live performance and trying to like find a balance between like how much is too much on a record. You know, you want to stay true to live, but then, you know, you want to have a differentiation too. So I think Greg Norrie really helped us a lot in developing kind of like what you hear uh, on the EP uh, like the white record that we did and then the uh, the the full length the make a sound record. Um, he produced both of those and I think he really kind of helped, you know, help us navigate that. And I've listened back like, you know, every once in a while and, and sometimes I'll, I'll be like, ah, maybe this was too much or maybe if I had another chance I would do it this way. Mm. But for the most part, I think, um, I think it's awesome. You know, I, I think anybody that listens back to whatever they did, you know, may have, you know, ah, maybe if we would have tried this, that, that could have been cool. 
you know, there's certain songs maybe you think are, are that you wouldn't change a thing, but I think, you know, anyone that looks back at their work, there's, there's definitely some stuff here and there that would change. But I think really Greg was the one that kind of helped us not only incorporate some of the different elements from different influences we had, but how to like mm. put them together uh, on a record and kind of enhance certain characteristics, you know, of the songs and nuances that we wanted to enhance and um, really taught us a lot about how to, you know, put a record together, you know, and construct a song. And, you know, I, he was, he was good to us. Greg, funny guy too. Is he, yeah. is he still, you guys still in uh, contact with him? No. Yeah. I haven't talked to Greg in probably, probably since we stopped doing the band, you know, like it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a matter of kind of just, you know, proximity and uh, you know, I, kind of lost touch with uh with music after we stopped doing the band and mm. uh you know greg i saw was like doing some uh like an x-factor show kind of thing like in canada and all this stuff that he does with like management and production and you know staying pretty busy and active in that world um so i haven't been in touch with him but you know i'm sure that if i saw him like you know <laughs> tomorrow i could go instantly into like hanging out and joking around with him so you know uh we had a, a lot of time spent with Greg and a lot of good times. So now you, you mentioned that um, you sort of lost touch with music. Yeah. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more? What? Uh... Well, um, you know, when we stopped playing uh, music, like at the end of 2004, beginning of 2005, um, you know, I think we had kind of all, come to like some rationalization whether it was spoken or unspoken at times that like we kind of were out of gas to right. so to speak and maybe it was time to 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 do other things because what it was going to take excuse me to write and produce and record and you know, tour in support of another record after we made Make a Sound was going to be more than anybody was going to be able to tolerate. Right. And so when when I started thinking about, you know, what I was going to do when the band was over, I got kind of locked into like what I thought I would be doing when I was like a high schooler, right? So I went back to school and, you know, started focusing on on that and just didn't really have a lot of time music anymore um in terms of like producing it you know i still play on my own but um you know i got married i have a daughter now um finally finished all my my school work that i needed to do um and kind of got you know now kind of set as far as my life outside of music um so that only just happened recently finishing all that stuff too like in december so now i've been kind of playing more oh thank you Dude, thank you. Good so, for you. Yeah, so now I've been playing more. I plan to like uh, get a computer and like you know record hopefully some ideas and you know if I ever get some stuff completed you know to you know formulated to completion maybe I'll put some stuff out. You know, me and Phil, our drummer, work. He lives right nearby me, and he uh, went to school for music production after the band was over. So now he um, is is very uh, well-versed in how to record and stuff like that. So, uh, 
you know, we talk about, you know, putting, you know, putting some stuff together at some point, just the two of us. I'm, I'm telling you, man, I, uh, I'll, 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 I'll buy it right up. I'll be the first listener. <laughs> yeah. It won't be autopilot off, but I mean, it's not, I don't think it would be too dissimilar, you know, in some respects. So, but well, what I've seen and, and what, you know, I mean, cause co- consumers are the, are, are always great piece, people to talk to, but yeah. when bands do like the unleaded or like the acoustic sets of their songs. Yeah. Like, do, do you remember story of the year? Yeah. So they, their album Page Avenue, they did the whole thing. Like they redid the whole album. And, really? Uh, man, dude, they, they nailed it. And it, it almost was like a resurgence for them because after that, they released a new album. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Those guys were good. They were a good band, man. They were oh, high very, energy, man. Very good players. We, played, we went on tour with them and they live were, I mean, very good. Really good. Yeah. So did you, did you write the lyrics of, uh, for, for your guys' songs? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Man, like the 12th, you know, the 12th day or, uh, is it the Cicada song? Oh, Cicada song. Yeah. 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 You had some like deeply philosophical stuff going on there. I I appreciate that. Yeah. uh, I I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, cause, cause clockworks, what is it? Uh, the, write it on the wall and read it. Yeah. Uh, bright red. So you can see it. Yeah. It's like, man, I don't know. There, there's still, it's still relevant today. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you. I think that was like, just kind of about like, you know, self-determinism versus like, you know, self-despair to, to some degree. And Greg actually had me back that off a little bit, uh, because originally the verse was write it on the blood and read it blood red. So you can see it life leaking out. And that was, that's like, he let me say it, but like right at the end of the song only, he was like, I don't know if you want all this blood all over the place in this song, man. It's like, you know, but I wanted it. It's like kind of like a visceral connection. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm writing like my own, you know, the phrase writing on the wall, like you could see something coming. I want to write like my own destiny, you know, so I can see it and I'm going to write it with my own blood on the wall. You know, that was kind of like my original thing. Like this is, this is life or death, you know? And I, you know, it was the original thought with that line, you know, but, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, from. <laughs> it, what, it sounds like you, you, you've been true to your word in doing that. I mean, you know, you have a family, you have a daughter, you finished school, right? Yeah. You kind of took life by the, you know, by the horns and you certainly aren't a victim to it. I'm trying. I mean, I guess so. I guess that's, uh, that's the best you can do, right? I guess we're mm-hmm. here to, to do whatever we're going to do. And I guess whatever we decide, we could probably do it the best we can. I, you know, I, I mean, that's, I guess, kind of what I, what I think, you know, um, which can sometimes make you crazy too. You know, that's the, the downside of it is that sometimes that mental wheel gets spinning and it can, it can make you crazy too. But one of my friends was like, man, he's like, you're, he's like, you're like a lucky guy. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you've gotten to live like two dreams. It's like, I was like, he's like, man, that's awesome. And I was like, all right. I was like, I guess, you know, I, I, I do feel lucky, you know, music was something that we kind of stumbled into, but you know, became something that, 
you know, with a little like sliver of light that we were kind of following this possibility to kind of just do that and nothing else and see what happens. And, you know, we got a chance to do that. But prior to that, like I wanted to be a doctor when I was in high school. So, you know, when I got done playing the band, like going to med school wasn't realistic. So I became a nurse and then, you know, got a bachelor's in that and then went and got a degree as a nurse practitioner. So now I can kind of, I'm not a doctor, but I kind of, you know, can do the same function right. in the same way. So um, I don't know if it, it, it feels cool to kind of been, been able to take this life detour and kind of almost return to like a normal existence with like very little consequence too, you know? So um, I feel lucky in that sense for sure. You know, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to argue against you there. I mean, luck is, luck is, it's a nice way of saying it, but really, man, I mean, you did the work, right? None of this just came to be just like your guess, schooling. But, yeah. But there's, there, there's several, there's still a lot of like, I feel like circumstance and right. pitfalls and stuff you can't account for. And I've had, uh, you know, my wife, uh, is someone that's been so supportive of me all along the way going back to, I mean, she's been there from the whole thing from before, before autopilot off was, was very known by anyone really, um, all the way through to now and like the whole spectrum and the whole ride she's been on the whole time and, uh, been supportive and, and kind of like a, a, directing very directive also of like helping me kind of filter out a lot of you know noise or mm. or things that could be distracting or destructive even and helping me kind of avoid those kind of things and stay on you know a, a directed path and kind of focus my energies you know in a in a productive way which has really been helpful and I wonder sometimes without that you know I could have gone down and, and done some very destructive things and this could be a very different, you know, a story with a very different ending. So definitely I feel like I can't undercount the luck either, you know, because although there was some work and all that stuff involved and, and whatever it was, I don't know if I could have, you know, like you say, nothing happens in a vacuum. I don't know if I could have done all that on my own. You know, I don't think yes. I, I don't think I could have. It definitely, you know, would have been, I don't think it would have happened. I, I, I 100% agree with that answer. Yeah. That's a great way of explaining what luck is. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So how long have you and your wife been together? Oh, God. Um, we met when I was 16 and she was 14, but we didn't start dating until she was in college. So probably right around the year 2000, so about whatever, 19 20. years. We'll be married 15 years, October 29th. So wow, that's that's coming up. That's coming up. Yep. Congratulations, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, well, that's like me. Like I am very. I'm not, I'm not a super religious person or anything, but the word sure. blessed is just the best way I can describe it. That you know, yeah. my my wife or partner, we're not actually married, yeah. but she keeps me on the straight and narrow. Right. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Because if I was, you know, if to have, uh, you know, to have a good job, to have finances, and then all this freedom, it's really easy to make poor choices. I'm sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care who you are, right? 
So yeah, having somebody backing you, that's, that's what you need to stay true to yourself. How, yes. how old's your, how old's your daughter? She will be 11 in December. So nice. she's just finishing out the, uh, the 10 year old stage right now. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like I was saying, my, uh, my daughter just turned one last week. So that's wonderful. Oh yeah. She's starting to do the steps and you're just like, this is great. But you know, as soon as she starts running, Oh yeah. Game over, man. You're, you're on. Yep. Definitely. So, definitely. Now, what is the name or is beautiful? Oh, I don't know if you want to. Oh, right. Sophia. Sophia. Right. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. 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 Which is Greek for wisdom. Nice. Yeah. I love it. What's, what's your daughter's name? Uh, Mary Grace. Mary. Nice. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome, man. Are you gonna have more kids? Do you think, or no? Probably not. I mean, uh, I think that window for us is closed. We had, right. you know, we had talked about it, um, and at the time where that would have been, you know, more realistic, there were other factors in life that wouldn't have made it like um, compatible. Probably at that time, so we weren't like, you know. Um, we weren't actively trying. We weren't actively not trying, but we weren't actively trying. Um, and I think at this point now, it's like, oh, I think, I think we're, we're set, but it's okay. I'm happy just, just to have any. So one there is, you go. One, yeah. Yeah. Well, cause when I was on the website, um, it said that you guys had disbanded in, in 2004, like you'd said, you know, you yeah. come to this point where you're looking at yourselves and you're like, do we still have gas in the tank? Yeah. And I imagine the creative process when you have all these people together is exhausting. But then it said that you guys got back together in 2011. Right. What can uh, you tell well, about that? So that was kind of like a, uh, this kind of glimmer in time, I guess, where I was between, you know, courses in school. I, I needed to, to do a master's program. I had just finished the bachelor's program and I was like in between courses. So my school demands weren't very, very, very heavy duty. Um, nobody else's work demands at the time were like, you know, uh, overly burdensome either. And we were just like, let's get together again and see what happens. So we started playing, um, you know, practicing and whatever, just playing old songs, maybe writing new songs too. And we came up with, with a batch of, you know, a few songs and uh, some promising seedlings, you know, and we were like, let's maybe like try and put something out. And then, um, you know, we started with, I don't know, I think like six songs or something like that or five songs and kind of started recording them out and, and putting them into various stages of production. And then, you know, other factors started coming back in and people started getting busy again. And we were kind of like mm. having some, when we got to the production side of things, having some differences of opinion of you know sounds and and whatever how you know artistic differences or whatever like with the production and something so it it kind of slowed it down a little bit and then we only ended up with a with a few things that we had consensus on you know as far as like oh we should put these out um and then unfortunately just like circumstantially with things being with what they were for everybody individually haven't really got a chance to revisit it like that. So it's just like kind of this one, this moment that I'm glad that we kind of like recognized and, and attached to, but um, that kind of, 
is has gone now too a little bit. So, but I was happy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm. Oops, I lost you. You still there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so happy, so happy for 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 having done it and from from what it produced. I think we got a got some good songs out of it and definitely some good times. So, um, but I think it just kind of we had our we had our little our little glimpse there and and then other things just came in as they always do and you know demanded our attention too so yeah because when i when i went on uh spotify and saw yeah there's a logo of the autopilot off like the, yeah. the lock breaking and it says 2015 yeah. dude yeah. you guys were teasing me i was like what is this i was <laughs> i was thinking that there was a new album coming out or something oh uh, i wish you know I, that was our intention i think you know at the beginning was to do something more substantial than just the handful of singles that we had. But um, it was just, it was too much. I don't, I don't yeah. think we had enough of the time to, to make it, you know, come to fruition. So, but. I, I got to oh. say, oops, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm just saying, I wish, I wish we would have done more then. But that, but that is admirable to kind of look at your situation and think, you know, if I keep going down this path, what what is what are the sacrifices that I might have to make? Right. You know. And it yeah. sounds like that was very much what was kind of weighing in on that decision process. Is that correct? Oh, back in like two thousand four? Or 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 two thousand eleven when you guys got back together again. Well, I think two thousand eleven, um, it was a little more relaxed because I think we were all kind of coming into it with the same kind of like perspective, like we're three out of four of us have kids now we all have like you know um we all kind of settled into our post music lives also and we have our responsibilities that exist there but we do have some time you know where we can you know dedicate to this we're not going to go on tour we're not going to be doing anything crazy we're just going to put out some music I think was our approach when we first did it in 2011. We were never looking at it as like some full scale comeback, like, Oh, we're going to do a tour and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Um, so it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, as big as a decision as it was like prior when we, that was like our full, that was everything that we did all that. That was it. You know, we had no other, you know, anything else going on, but um, you know, but even with that, I think, uh, you know, it is a responsibility and it does take some commitment or whatever on any level. And, you know, the, um, I think for us, you know, we've always kind of had the same view also that uh, our, our most, uh, our strongest commitments are to our own individual families and our right. own, you know, and their, the quality of their lives too. So I think that was that was kind of understood amongst us. So there wasn't ever any friction like that. Well, you know, don't go to your kid's soccer game because we have practice, you know, right. <laughs> so, I mean, whatever. I mean, it was never like that. So, and nor would it, we ever want it to be. So, you know, I think we're all understood that it was just going to be releasing some songs and recording whatever we could, you know, so it was pretty casual, I guess, in 2011. Yeah. You know? Would you like, what are, what are your thoughts about doing uh, some, acoustic songs from autopilot off like nothing frequency or something like that does that uh, pique I'm, your interest i'm open to it you know um i think it's cool um i haven't i haven't um 
haven't practiced them or anything like that in that in that form but i think it would be cool to kind of do we used to do um some of that stuff acoustic here and there um back um back when the record first came out um so it'd be kind of cool to do that stuff i like messing with like acoustic versions of things so it's definitely something that i'd be into you know what uh like what was touring like you know what like what were some highlights what was that life like <laughs> chaos uh, yeah. yeah um and sometimes the chaos was amazing and fun and exciting and great um and just uh dreamlike you know uh it's just wonderful and then so you know then there was other times when it was just frightening and you know unsettling and uh you know uh trying and it was it was it could be it could be both i mean it, it would, that's like the ultimate yin and yang i feel like it's the highest of highs sometimes and the lowest of lows it's it was uh an experience though that i wouldn't trade you know as far as like being able to travel and having seen so many different um locations and 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 met so many great people and and had that you know that interaction and and, an ability to perform you know and and that was that's still mind-blowing to me it was amazing you know what like what was like a highlight would you say highlight if there's one that it's like um, top big moments, what would be up there? Top big moments. Um, let me say, I would say um, definitely um, the first time that we ever got um, asked to to be like on a on a on a big tour. Um, we went out with MXPX and the Get Up Kids, <laughs> and that was in November of 1998. And we, that was the first like tour with like a big time artist that we'd ever been on. And when we played the first show on, we only did like a leg of it, like the Northeast leg. And we did the, uh, the first show of that Northeast leg. It was in Worcester, Massachusetts at this place called the Palladium. And there was a curtain in front of this enormous stage where we were all standing and I remember the the stage person had a little thing in and they pointed like we were going to start and they turned the house music off and up went this curtain and this place was filled with like 1500 kids and we all kind of looked at each other like oh my god and then Phil just counted off on his hi-hats and we went and it, and it went off really well and it was amazing and then another one was when um we played in New York city with some 41 and H2O. Uh, we had toured with them, uh, pretty extensively in like, uh, the U S and Canada. And we played, I always wanted to, I had seen a bunch of shows as a kid at Roseland ballroom, which has since been torn down. It was a huge venue in New York. And we played there with, uh, on that tour. And I remember thinking like, I can't believe we're playing at Roseland. It's an enormous room. And, uh, it was great. It was just a, such a great energy and, a, and an amazing show. And, you know, to me having, you know, thought about that since I'd ever, since the first show I'd been at at Roseland, I think we saw like face to face and I was like, I couldn't imagine playing a room this big. It was, it was surreal. It was unbelievable. So that was another highlight too. 
but that uh that first when, when you're you're talking about the curtains and they open up yeah timing on the on the hi-hat what what song yeah. did you guys do uh what did we start with um i think it was missing the innocence off of like um what do you call it uh the looking up record like our right yeah i think it was that yeah i think it was so this so this was this was in 2000 this was in 98 1998 wow yeah so how old that full-length record might not even been out yet no i I, well i did a little bit of homework before it came out 2000 yeah so it was yeah so it was a song i guess yeah we had written that wasn't in the record yet so we just how how old were you when you you did this set in 1998 1998 november of 98 i would have been 20 wow yeah that's it's like so you're 20 years old you know you must feel like you got the the bull by the horns um how did you not like how did you not get completely consumed by the rock star lifestyle like we hear about you know drugs and alcohol you know women all the all the stuff well how did you not get consumed by it i don't know i guess it was just whatever i I was holding it off till later i guess (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think at that point it was just um, – there was still, I think, this this purity. And, like, we still weren't um, – you know, there, were, there was, like, a purity of intention still then. It didn't matter almost, like, what happened when we played the show. If we were a disaster and everyone hated us and nobody wanted our record, it wouldn't matter. And if everyone loved us and everybody bought our records – it would matter, but at the same time, you know, um, it, it was, uh, there was only positives that could come for, from it for us for that, I feel like. Whereas later on, the, the feel of it started to change a little bit. Where like, if you played bad, you know, say you went out and you played live on a tour and you played bad, and then, you know, nobody liked you and didn't want to buy your record. To us, then it was like, that was kind of, then we're done. We could be done for, right. you know, um, you know, it, it seemed to take on a lot more of a, uh, of a significance in terms of like our survival as a band, you know, right. Whether or not that existed for real or something I manufactured in my mind or, or in our collective minds, um, that became something that kind of existed nonetheless, like later on when we were touring. Um, and that's when you'll get, <laughs> you know the the dark side of things i think you know and never for me in terms of like you know women or anything like that but as far as like alcohol certainly for me was uh was an escape route i think from some of those pressures and that change and feel of like what touring became you know instead of like this carefree exciting no consequence like only good things can come you know, uh, view of it, which was kind of like how that MXPX tour was when nobody knew us, yeah. you know, um, and it became kind of like they're, you know, um, hyper consequential, you know, it felt like everything mattered, um, to the nth degree to me anyway, then it became very easy to kind of be like, I'm going to have a few beers and chill this out, you know? So, Unfortunately, I, I did that more often than not. So, 
and that was something that I had to kind of address as the band ended, you know, so, you know, it wasn't all great stuff, you know, but that's the nature of life. You know, there are some positives and some negatives and some, you know, obstacles and whatever. So you, you raise a good point and and tell me if I'm kind of getting this right, but there's the period of innocence when you're starting out, you're like, you know, I could go this way or that way. Who cares? Right. Like at least I I could say I tried, but then you start to get the success and then it's like, well, I can't really get back to there anymore because I'm going this far this way. Yeah. And and that pressure of, you know, being being uh, performing, being successful. This is right. now now your kind of existence sort of relies on this, right? If you don't sell records, sure. you're not going to eat kind of thing. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, wow, because because going back to, you know, that that opening night, I could just go to school after this, you know what I mean? Exactly. Whereas now it's like like we're invested in this. Right. So, well, I, I never thought of it that way because, I, you know, when you see celebrities and stuff like that, I think, man, fame must be a really, like, that must be a scary thing. Like, I'll go to the supermarket and I'll be wearing, like, disheveled clothes and my hair is everywhere. And I'm like, this is great. Hopefully I don't bump into anybody. I know. <laughs> but imagine going anywhere in the world and people are going to recognize you. You have no privacy and the pressure that yeah. that brings. I'm sure, you know, and I, I guess that that's like some next level stuff, you know, yeah. um, I, it, it's got to take a certain mental makeup um, or not, you know, I, I mean, I guess there's people with celebrities, plenty of them that have, that have struggles, you know, whether it's with substances or whatever, but it's probably an enormous strain as far as like, you know, on a, um, emotional health or mental health or or both, you know, um, to have that kind of like visibility or scrutiny or, or, or whatever, you know, and I, we never had to be concerned with that, obviously. But I mean, I, I shudder to think, you know, what, what life had the potential to be like, had we ever, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I think the best thing personally that ever happened, you know, to me, uh, is, is that the band stopped when it did because I, I worry sometimes like what would have been you know the cumulative toll on my mental health or or physical health even it could have you know crossed over to had we kind of continued on you know I don't, I don't know you know it's it's worrisome for sure to think about so you know but, so yeah that, respect for those people that that can deal with it man me me too make it work not only for their talent but for but for that aspect of it too it's just insane yeah their their level of patience i one time i ran into i one of my other favorite bands as a teenager and still to this day disturbed i ran into the lead singer of disturbed oh damn yeah 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 yeah. what's his name david uh david draymond david draymond and you can't miss you can't misplace that guy you know who he is right very uh, iconic right but he didn't have his uh his lip piercings in but my wife and i we were in hawaii and we're at this uh you know super posh bar or whatever we have to sit you know in the in the 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 spare board here we're not the up-and-comers right but we, we go to this restaurant we're sitting at the bar and this guy comes and sits beside us uh, with his wife. And there's about a chair between us. And he's talking on the phone. He's like, nobody knows who I am or something. Talking to his friend, like, 
because yeah. he can't get a seat in this restaurant, right? Yeah. And I lean over and we kind of catch eyes and I'm like doing one of these, right? And my, I tell, I explain, you know, that's David Draymond, lead singer, just yeah. And Jen is like, uh, you know, just whatever you do, don't fanboy him, right? Don't fanboy him. Right, right. So, <laughs> so I walk over and I'm like, cause he's like, you know, he's very successful and he's hoping that he can get into this restaurant kind of thing. Yeah. But nobody knows who he is. And I'm like, I know who you are. And he's like, oh, cool. And I'm like, dude, I love your records. And he was so great about it. Like he took That's a picture cool. with me and stuff. And all I wanted to say is that I love his music because it's impacted my life. Yeah. But, you know, I guess my point is, is that if I was that guy and every day there's people kind of coming up trying to talk to you and stuff. Yeah. That would, that would you know, that would weigh on me, I feel. Yeah. That'd be tiring. I, I, yeah, I, it could be, you know, I, I guess, you know, you're, you're right. If everywhere you went, people knew who you were, you know, for sure. I guess you lose that kind of like shelter of anonymity, you know, of yeah. like, you know, just being another dude. But, uh, <laughs> that's so cool that he was, that he was, uh, that he was nice and like, whatever. Like I, I, I have a, I have a disturbed story from when we were, uh, on tour in the early days too where uh yeah the they were touring with hate breed oh and, i love uh, that band yeah so jamie jasta who um they're from connecticut he used to book a lot of shows in connecticut like local stuff so we would do some runs up there and he would book us at this place called hanover house so you know we were telling him we were doing like a little you know, we're going down the coast of Florida and then maybe a little bit, you know, down like the Gulf coast. And then we're going to go home, you know, we're going to be on like a, you know, four week run, like a tour or whatever. And he was like, Oh, we're going to be down there at that time too. He said, you should come play with us in Tallahassee. We're going to be like, or there around the same time. And that was it. And we were like, so are we on this show or not? And we were like, I don't know. We should just go to it. So we went to the venue. I think it was called the cow house or something in Tallahassee and disturbed is there. Hate breeds not there yet. I think Hatebreed's on a bus. Disturbed is there in a van. And we hung out with those guys for like an hour before, you know, Hatebreed showed up and we eventually found out we're not playing this, to which I was like relieved. I was like, nobody's going to want to see our stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I was scared to death. But they were like, oh, no, you can't be on this show. We're like, oh, okay, sorry. He was like, this is not going to work out, blah, blah, blah. So it was the long shot to begin with. but you know hanging out with those guys where he was a super cool dude a smart guy too like oh yeah uh, you know really was uh uh had a really good kind of just knowledge of music business stuff that we had no idea about at that time i mean this was like 1998 97 something like that early on and uh just super cool you know super cool guys well, like you, he, he was, he's in the field of, uh, he was educated in medicine, I think psychiatric yeah. medicine or something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So what, what made you get in, like, what made you want to work in medicine? I don't know. I just, um, I liked it the best in school, I guess. I was, uh, I was way into science in school and, uh, uh, went into like a- AP bio and stuff and, um, just was, was interested in, in how, you know, uh, we functioned, you know, as, as entities, as, you know, uh, organisms and, um, how to like, you know, 
fix illness was some, something that seemed kind of cool to me. So I always kind of thought that would be an interesting career path. And I like, you know, being able to try and uh, be, be helpful, you know, and, and useful and, you know, whatever. So I thought that medicine would be a good to do that, you know, and uh, it has been, I, I'm, I am the happiest I've probably ever been in the last, like, you know, a uh, year or so. So, wow. That's yeah. awesome. So, so going back to what your friend said about you've lived two lives, you were this, you know, yeah. you're in a rock band and yeah. now, now you got this career, right? Yeah. In nursing and you're helping people. Yeah. Sounds like now you've sort of found that flow state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, coronavirus kind of threw a monkey wrench in there too. And yeah. that was a very, very stressful and continues to be kind of stressful as far as like, you know, um, the medical world is concerned, but, um, I, I love it. Um, I, I, uh, basically work as like a pediatrician now. So I work in an office and I see people come in for their school physicals and, you know, for whatever illnesses they might have. And I, you know, counsel people on, you know, like growth and development and like healthy family interactions and try and like, make sure that kids have the best foundation in their, their health so that they have the best chance to, you know, be happy, productive and, you know, healthy adults, you know? Um, and it's awesome. Uh, and I'm happy too. My schedule is now compatible with like my wife's and my daughter's schedule. Now I'm, I'm working and this is going to sound so corny, but like I work nine to five now, yeah. which I never did before when I was like uh, a registered nurse, like in the, the ER and stuff, I'd be working like, 11 a.m. to 11 mm. I'd be working 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And, you know, um, during the um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, I did have to I did end up going back into the hospital um, to work as like a hospital doctor or a hospital provider or whatever for uh, basically over the summer months. And it, well, I wasn't dealing with like, you know, COVID patients or anything. I wasn't like, you know, we need to intubate this one. I was doing pretty basic like, you know hospitalist like uh pretty basic hospital medicine so that other more experienced people right. could be doing the, like covid stuff um you were like relief kind of thing for yeah 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 but um that was a that's a that was a good experience and a good learning experience too and um you know as much as like you know it was challenging or whatever you know um came out of it with a lot of, a lot of good knowledge. And, and some of the, some of those experiences, you know, I draw a lot on, um, you know, what we went through in, in the band and the experience of being in the band, like has been unlike any other in terms of like application uh, to, to regular life, you know, just, you know, working as hard as you can, mm. having, having faith that you'll get to where you want to get if you just keep working hard and do what you're supposed to do, treat people well, you know, be, you know, uh, aware of, of other people's needs and their situation and, and, and how you can work together to like, make sure everybody is taken care of. I mean, that's, we did a lot of that kind of stuff when we were in the band, make, you know, whether if it was with like, you know, tour dates or this or that. And, you know, shuffling around. So to make sure we could like, we could be here, then we could be there. We could do that, you know, to, to make sure we could satisfy as many commitments as possible and take into account, not only our well being but other people's needs too. And if you apply that to like your regular life, 
you know, it's, it, it kind of sets you up to just be in a good place to achieve whatever you want to, you know? So I, I, as trying as some of the times of being in the band was at times, um, and I'll probably a lot of times just by my own action as, as much as anything else, it's really helped me as an individual, you know, be a better person for sure. So at least I think than it might've been without that experience. I never would have thought of that, you know, that, that living this life as a rock star can make you uh, suited for being a good dad, you know? Yeah. I mean, being a good dad and a good worker, you know, just contributing to society. Right. Yeah. I think it really kind of, it, to me that, that whole band experience really demonstrated to me, like the, the power of, uh, being positive mm. for, for sure. And the po- the power of just kind of showing up when you say you're going to show up, even though I'm sorry, I was late like a minute. <laughs> oh, I, I was 10 minutes late. So don't worry. Yeah. 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 But I mean, showing up when you say you're going to show up, you know, yeah. saying what you mean, doing what you say, um, and just kind of being, you know, a reliable, good person that other people can Mm. can say oh i like working with that guy or that he's reliable or whatever you know and and making you know fostering good relationships with others and and taking to account what their their needs would be like you know i think we always tried to do that too you know when we were playing music uh and dealing with others and yeah it's 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 been a good recipe so far, I think for all of us. So, um, you know, it's, it's been, you know, the, the band was a great contributor to that. I don't know that I would have learned that much that fast. And maybe I would have arrived mm. at some of these conclusions as like a 60 year old instead of like a 30 year old, you know? <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, I, I certainly get that impression that you're a man of uh, integrity, you know, honesty. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Me yeah. Too. Well, I, I, I really appreciate your, uh, your time. I, I think we've been talking for an hour and I don't want to, you know, going back to being a family man, I don't want to take up all your time. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I wanted to, I would just want to, since we're going to be like, since, since you're from Canada. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have a love of all things Canadian. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather was from Newfoundland. Okay. Um, so I have, I feel like I have some maybe you know, connection to it on, on that sense. And then having worked with Greg, we spent a lot of time in Toronto and uh, I always watched like, you can't do that in television. A lot of Canadian shows on like Nickelodeon as a kid. And I always thought, Oh, Toronto would be so cool. Um, so having got to spend time in not only Toronto, but all over Canada, I really appreciate the, the country and love the country. I just wanted to um, ask you and also kind of put out there to your Canadian listeners. Ask me anything, man. I'm I'm an open book. Are you a big trailer park boys fan? Oh dude. I love that show. (laughs) That's like one of my favorite. It's my all time favorite. I don't even know what's going on here. (laughs) Bubbles, man. I love that guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, That is, that's like my favorite show of all time. Dude, that is a great show. Okay. So pretty much for that. I grew up on Trailer Park Boys, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, and Punk Rock. Oh, oh your childhood sounds amazing. Man. Yeah, I had a great childhood, man. Yeah. You know, so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love I that. A, I might get a Jim Leahy portrait tattoo. I'm really considering Dude. it. 
He was my favorite character. <laughs> Mine too. What yeah. a talented guy. Yeah. Lick, oh and you know God. what? He didn't even drink. He was like sober. I read that about him, that that was all like, not that I thought he was drinking on camera, but like yeah. that whole like drunk persona was oh, something he created. He, he wasn't even a drinker. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah. What an actor. Oh, but, man. Uh, yeah. But liquor's call the shots now, Randy. Like, yeah. My so- wife, you know. She doesn't, she likes this show. She doesn't, she's not as, as huge into it as I am, but she's familiar with it and she can appreciate it. She always says to me, like, a couple different turns in your life, and you know, or I say to her, <laughs> rather, I say to her, rather, a couple different turns in my life, and I could have ended up as Ricky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? I really yeah. feel that what, what goes around is all around, boys. See? Yeah. Yeah. But I, part of the reason I love that show, I feel like, you know, as messed up as those characters are, and as like, you know, stupid or as dangerous or whatever yeah. as they can be sometimes they all really have this like genuine love and respect for each other and their friendship and even for just the the people of their park even sometimes and like yeah. there's a real kind of they have their own kind of like you know integrity you know i just love that show you, you, you know what like that's such a great point and uh like I honestly, I, I I'm free to go whenever, but I just, I I just want to yeah. be mindful of your time. So if you want yeah. to keep going, totally fine by me. I, I'm no, loving no, our I conversation. Just, I just but, wanted to make sure I brought that up. Like I didn't want to leave Trailer Park Boys out of it. Well, and this is why I love that show. Is that like yeah. I don't know, man. Like the uppity rich people, they're so kind of. I, I I'm not a rich person or anything. So here, yeah. this is all very fine and dandy coming from me. Yeah. But I feel like they're a little bit detached from reality. Whereas when you look at these, you know, these people in the trailer park boys, yeah. you know, they're sort of uh, their values and their virtues or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, these people kind of get it right. They, they understand the value of friendship and, you know, just being you true know, to yourself, I guess, you know, all the while true. stealing ATM machines. Yeah. You know what? They don't have anything else. So all they have to really go on is the value of the person I feel like. And that's kind of like, you know, it's crazy, you know, yeah. and and but, and there and and maybe that's what happiness is, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's something there's something Buddhist in Trailer Park Boys. I'm it's sure. It's true. <laughs> We're talking now, boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I guess my last question is, you know, what's what's next for Chris? Uh, what's next for Chris? Um, well, now that I want to like, now that school is done, I feel like pretty settled. I think. Just trying to, you know, make sure everybody in the the house is happy and and taken care of, and then maybe uh, maybe trying to to work on some of my own stuff here uh, with Phil's help, and maybe hopefully being able to release some of that at some point in the future when I don't know, but um, hopefully soon. I, I have a few promising seedlings there too, so we've been kind of going back and forth with a couple of little garage band ideas and stuff, so. I like maybe in the, maybe I'd like to do that if I could just like write a couple of songs every now and then put them out on Spotify going forward I'd be quite pleased to do that so hopefully we can do that well you strike me as a man who uh, has to keep busy so I'm sure <laughs> something will be coming uh, from you soon we'll see. I hope yeah. so well hey man thank you so much for your time all right and, uh, have a have a wonderful day Thanks so much for having me on. You have a good day too. Once again, that was Chris Johnson, lead singer and rhythm guitarist for the band Autopilot Off. Be sure to check him out on Spotify. Um, 
thank you again to Chris Johnson for the wonderful conversation that we had. I love hearing about how everything in his life has been a lesson that has helped him be who he is today, and he has no regrets. And that's something that I, I identify with, and, and hopefully you can too, that we're constantly growing, we're constantly learning, we're constantly becoming the person that we want to be. And it's not about comparing yourself to others, but comparing yourself to yourself and who you were yesterday. And hopefully you're becoming a better person. Thank you for listening. Once again, I'm your host, Robert Grant. Take care.